this morning Saw a world full of trouble Now I thought, how do we ever get so far down And how's it ever gonna turn around So I turned my eyes to heaven I thought, God, why don't you do something Good morning, Simi Church. My name is Kenny Izuchuku, and I'm the campus minister for the Westside Church in Culver City. Thank you, Joe, for providing this opportunity for me to speak. I don't know many of you. I've only, I've never actually been to a Simi service, but I look forward after the COVID pandemic to be able to join and worship with you. Um, very grateful again for this opportunity, Joe. Uh, I know you are on a sermon vacation. So thank you for giving me this opportunity to speak, of course, but also you're welcome for me being able to take some of the to load off of you <laughs> so you can take the time, the break that you need. Uh, I know how hard you prepare and work in your sermons. So uh, again, grateful. Um, well, a little bit about me. I am a student at Pepperdine University. Currently, I do that full time and while working and serving in a campus ministry. I'm about to finish though. Uh, in August, I will be done with all my classes and I'll be able to finally graduate, take my final exams and move on in life. It's been a long three years, but it's been very joyful um, just being able to serve in the campus and learn about theology and the Bible and God at Pepperdine. They're very good professors and teachers there. So it's been super encouraging and um, I highly recommend it if you're interested in uh, gaining a theology degree. Pepperdine University would be a great place. So um, other things about me, I grew up pretty much from sixth grade till now on the west side. Um, went to middle school, high school. I went to UCLA undergrad. Then I went to grad school at UCLA to get my master's in public health and master's in public policy. And, um, and then obviously now I'm at Pepperdine. Um, here's a picture of my family. You can see this is my graduation, which was really encouraging. Um, here's also a collage of just some different things in my life. I, was, I played volleyball at UCLA in undergrad, which was really fun. Um, I'm a chaplain in the Air Force, so I help serve our country, uh, help serve the armed forces, do a lot of counseling and um, spiritual guidance there. Uh, my campus ministry, if you look at the bottom corner, just a few students back in the day. That was me at UCLA with the campus students. So this is a collage that kind of gives and encapsulates just different things about me. And uh, I wanted to share that with you and just know that I'm by no means the authority of, of what I'm about to say. I'm just a 28 year old man who is humbled by God to be able to have this chance to share my heart. Um, many of you know, this has been a very rough two weeks in our country. Uh, I mean, it's been a rough few months in our country with the whole COVID pandemic and feeling like we've been kind of trapped in our own homes. But we've had some even more events that have occurred these last few weeks. And I think for me personally, the event that has caused probably the most discouragement and um, sadness in my heart is the killing of George Floyd, the black man who was killed by a white police officer in Minnesota and by by having his neck pressed on with the with the police officer's knee and um there's a vigil the other day for George Floyd and people I don't even know the guy I don't know anything really about him except what I've read 
All I know is that what I saw in that video was extremely discouraging, disheartening. And being a black man and, and living in the US, um, I know that our culture and society has felt some of, the f some of the weight and some of the discouragement that I'm feeling right now. And I think a lot of these issues that are kind of bubbling up to the surface have been prevalent for a while. Um, so I won't spend the whole sermon discussing this. I think that I'm sure Joe and your leadership team is already on it and they probably had many discussions and you guys are um, navigating that. But I, I, I've got to be honest, it's hard for me to even speak this morning. It's really difficult. I've spent a lot of time listening, a lot of time praying, a lot of time meditating, but not as much time speaking. I actually haven't preached in some time, and I think this has discouraged me, but I appreciate Joe's patience, and um, I mean, back when he asked me to preach, I had something completely different prepared. But I think that it would be a mistake if I didn't talk somewhat about these issues. And I think it really comes down to what is justice? And there's no way I'll be able to answer that question today, not in its entirety. Um, but I think we could probably get one step closer. And the title of my lesson is Just Us. Just Us. Like, just imagine we're in the same room and we're all together. And I'm just saying, Just Us. And I think it's a cool play on words. Obviously, it's playing on from the word justice and we'll... We'll talk about that today. But um, I do think that justice is often misunderstood. I think especially the young generation, um, they go to social media, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, uh, Twitter, and a lot of that helps inform their ideas and their feelings and their thoughts. But I think it falls short of what God wants them to be. And I think the church is supposed to be this place and organization where we can come together uh, as a family and love each other regardless. But this, this Western idea of justice disrupts that. And I think what would be maybe commonly defined or perhaps an, uh, just an overarching feeling or sentiment about justice in our Western ideal is uh, justice is solely based on individual rights Freeing individuals from the constriction of a group, problem, society, culture, whatever. Freeing them from that. But I really do, and as I've read more and as we'll talk about today, believe that God's idea of justice isn't just freeing someone or taking someone out of a situation. For example, when the Israelites were freed from the slavery of Egypt, it wasn't just to take them out of Egypt. That wasn't God's entirety. That wasn't his whole plan. It was to take them out in Egypt so they can have something so much better. It's to get into the promised land. And I think God's idea of justice is based on this idea of embracing the interwovenness, like the interconnection of individuals within a group. So it's not just freeing someone to do whatever they want, taking them out, just, you're, now your oppressors are gone, now do as you please. No, it's constraining them also into a community that loves, cares, adores, protects, provides. 
a way of connecting to God that you wouldn't know you would that you wouldn't not really be able to accomplish without it. And I love that. It's so inspiring. It's so encouraging. I'm trying my best to communicate this and to believe it and then communicate it to the college students, some of the teenagers. But the church has taken a big hit the last 10 years, even this whole situation. And I think that going to scripture to understand and glean and learn from that will really help us. So let's turn our Bibles over to Matthew 25. It reads this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in person and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devils and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in person and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Wow. I think Jesus is trying to communicate something very clear about what he wants his followers to do, about he what, what he wants his followers to believe. You see, oftentimes we can sit around and have all these ideas about what change could look like and how we can help bring that. But we cannot change the world with just ideas in our head. We need conviction in our hearts. Conviction that leads to action. That wants to provide an opportunity for those who aren't as advantaged as us. I think what Jesus is saying here is that if we don't love the outcast, the marginalized, 
that no matter what you say or do, you don't love him. And a deep social conscience and a life poured out in the deeds to the marginalized is the inevitable sign of real faith and connection to God. In short, I think that justice is just us. Justice is just us putting our faith in God. Justice is just us putting our faith in God. And that's what the church is supposed to be, a place where we can come together, where we can provide so much peace and comfort for each other because of how much we love God, how much we love Christ, and using that as a catalyst to go out and produce change. Uh, Every year I go to Nigeria and my family and I, we do medical missions. That's where my parents are from. They were born and raised there. And um, they like taking us back, us, my, me and my siblings back so that we can just get a glimpse of what it was like to really grow up there and be there. And um, every time I go, it breaks my heart. Um, I'm so soft-hearted. <laughs> and it really reminds me of how difficult it is to be born into a situation where you have no control over. And I look at the kids and they're playing around, they're malnourished, um, very little um, clothing. I just think they have no idea. They have no idea how difficult their life is gonna be. How hard it will be to do the basic things that many of us here take for granted. And I think about all the injustice that has happened in our society, in our world, with black Americans, with other minority groups. And I, I feel the same way. Some, you grow up and some kids just have no idea what their life is gonna be moving forward and how difficult it might be if they're not in the advantage group. And what's funny, you have people attacking it from all angles. So they'll attack the government and say, the government's corrupt, we need to change it, we need to overthrow it, we need to do something crazy so that the government can change. And then you have other people that might say, well, the parents need to do a better job raising their kids and if they could just be available and really help their kids understand, then maybe this wouldn't happen. But you know what no one ever says? Or at least, not, nothing that I've heard, no one ever blames the children. No one ever looks at a kid and says, it's your fault for putting yourself in that position. When you see someone so young, so pure hearted, all you can think about is, wow, that is hard. And all you want to do, at least all I want to do is see, how can I give? How can I provide them with opportunities that they may not experience anywhere else? That is how we know injustice exists. If you've ever felt that before, if you've ever understood that before, then scripture here is saying, and God's trying to say that, imagine that is me. I'm that little kid 
who's been born into this situation. I'm that child who doesn't have the food or water is malnourished. I am that person. What will you do for me? You know, I, the ringing thought in my head this past week has been this. If I don't share the advantages that this unjust world has afforded me with others, that in itself is unjust. If I refuse to share the advantages that this unjust world has provided me, that in itself is unjust. And I know the CME Church, it sounds like you're a very generous and loving and gracious church from what Joe's told me. Um, so maybe this is, maybe this is outdated. Maybe this is news to you. Maybe I'm just saying, telling you something you need to hear or you're, something that you've already heard. But for those of you who maybe, maybe you haven't heard this before, or maybe you haven't been challenged in this way before, I urge you, I beg of you, use the advantages that God has afforded you to help those who are oppressed and marginalized. And you may be asking, how can I do that? What can I do? It starts with faith. Justice is just us putting our faith in a just God. Justice is just us putting our faith in a just God. There are some members, some, some of your brothers and sisters who are feeling hopeless right now. They feel oppressed, they feel discouraged, they feel like there's nothing they can do for change to occur. If there's anything that we can do right now, it's to get on our knees and pray to God and ask him day and night to grant us peace, to grant us justice. And maybe you don't feel that. Maybe you're not oppressed. Maybe you don't feel marginalized. Maybe you don't feel like an outcast. But the church is supposed to be a place where you can go and if one member is feeling down, distraught, disorganized, you feel you have compassion for them. You may not have the answers, but you can have compassion. And something that every disciple should be able to do is get on their knees and pray. I love this verse here in 2 Samuel. We'll close here. I told you I didn't want to keep it long. And um, David, through the, Nathan prof, through the prophet Nathan, has been given an incredible opportunity to build God's house, the temple. And as we know, David never actually gets to, to do that. Um, but he's been given this chance 
to construct the temple of God. And many, for many of you, you know that back in the Old Testament times, the ancient Near East, the temple was the embodiment of God. It was, people could look at it and know, God is here. He's present. He's viable. He's, he's alive. He's going to help us. So that temple meant so much to the Israelite community. And David says this prayer, which we'll, we'll read um, in a second. But he says this prayer, and he's just humbled before God. Asking for guidance. It's one of the most humble prayers I think I've seen, I've seen in the Bible. And I think about today. We no longer need the temple to feel like God is present. The church, every single disciple who has the Holy Spirit embodies the temple. God is within them all. And how we build God's church makes a huge difference in the world. It can provide the peace and comfort that maybe some of those who feel oppressed and marginalized need. But we have to build well. I urge you, I beg of you brothers and sisters, that maybe some of you don't feel equipped to do anything. But the one thing that you can do is pray. And what I'm going to do now is I'm going to read through that verse. I'm going to show you the heart of David. And what I'm going to do then is pray through the verse right after. But pray through it with substituting some of the words that might be able to fit us today in our modern context. So 2 Samuel, turn our Bibles there. 2 Samuel, verse 7, or chapter 7, I should say. And we'll start in verse 18. It reads, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. And he said, Who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house. Of your servant. And this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human? What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are, sovereign Lord. There is no one like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people, Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as the people for himself and to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt? You have established your people, Israel, as your very own forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord God, 
Keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promise so that your name will be great forever. Then people will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel and the house of your servant David will be established in your sight. Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, sovereign Lord, have spoken and with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. Let's bow our heads and pray. Who am I, God? What is my family, my background, my heritage that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, God, you've also spoken about the future of your church. That I'm supposed to help with. This is, this can't be just for a mere human. This can't be only my responsibility. What more can I say to you, Lord? For you know me. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to me. How great are you, Lord? There is no one like you. There's no God but you, as we've heard it with our own ears, and who is like your people, disciples, the one group on earth that you went out of your way to redeem and to make your own, to use the church, to use the group of disciples to bring glory to your name and perform great and awesome wonders and miracles in the presence of many nations and their idols and their gods. You have redeemed us from slavery, Lord. You've redeemed us from a time where we were trapped in our own sin and couldn't get out. You've established your disciples as your very own forever. Lord, you are our God. And now, Lord, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and the church. Do as you promise so that your name will be great forever. Then people will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel. And the house of your servant David will be established. The house of your servant will be established. The church will be established in your sight. Lord God Almighty, 
you've revealed all this. I will help build your church for you. I have found the courage to pray this prayer to you. Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy and you've promised these good things to your people, to your disciples. Now be pleased to bless the church that it may continue forever in your sight for you, Lord, have spoken. And with your blessing, the church will be blessed forever. Lord, I love you. I need you. And I pray that you can help everyone who's feeling oppressed and marginalized feel like they have a community of people that can hear them, will fight for them, and will bring them back to you. I love you, and I pray everything's in your son's name. If not, uh...